0: Happy New Year! It's great to see you as well. What a what a glorious way to start a new year. Um, I'm a little disappointed there aren't, uh, there's, I don't know, 300 folks here. I, I'm a little disappointed there's not 400 folks here. You know, it's like uh, somebody party too hardy or something. Uh, our crowd's a little bit down this morning, but uh, so pray for that. Pray for that other crowd. You know, the older I get, there's things, you know, you want to go back and redo. One of the things I'd want to go back and redo is make sure I, I'm on my knees and I'm starting every new year with Christ. Um, and it's the biggest part of my life. I'm seeking Him first. I'd want to go back and probably re- even redo my wedding date. I'd want to start it in a worship service and and say, I want to start my marriage with Christ. I want to start my kids with Christ. I want to start everything with Christ. It's just a great time of the year for us to think about how to start over and to start with Christ and we're going to emphasize this morning starting to go through your your Bibles verse by verse word for word all the way through with Christ and I want to encourage you to think about that this morning if you've never done so the American Bible Society started 12 years ago taking a survey Of how many people were engaged with the Word of God on a regular basis. Trying to get out of the legalistic terminology of just reading the Bible or going to church, different things. How many were engaged with the Bible? And the results last year, 2022, so these are very current statistics. The results were in America only 19% of Americans are engaged with their Bibles. And by that, we mean that they are using the Word of God to shape their choices and using the Word of God on a regular basis to transform their relationships with others, with themselves, and with God. Wouldn't it be fantastic if the world was using the Word of God to shape all choices, To transform all relationships with others, with ourselves, and with God. And yet only 19% of Americans are using the word of God that way. We are a country right now that says we don't need the police. We don't need to fund them. We don't need American energy production. And we don't need family. Now just think about that. What would happen if the majority of Americans who believe we don't need police, we don't need energy production, and we don't need family, if they were reading the Bible and the Bible was shaping their choices and they would see a God who believes in law and order, And they would see a God that believes in private property and production. And they would see a God who has designed families like boom. Our society would be revolutionized. If we just got back to basic Bible. Our country has slowly moved away from that. And I want us to just think about the value, again, of getting into the Bible and being reminded of what's in the Bible day after day after day. I mean, you get into the Word of God and you see a God who is sovereign. You see a God who's on His throne. You see a God whose people always win in the end. Wouldn't it be great to be reminded of that? Every single day of your life. Um to have no panic of what our president's going to do or the progress what the progressives are going to propose we know who wins we know who's on the throne we know who's in control we know the direction of the world just by getting in to the word of god i don't want us to have doubts about bible reading i want us to think about it look at uh, i think christ clearly expects it Look at with me John chapter 8 31 and 32. And we'll start there that just a clear verse that Christ expects Bible knowledge and reading or dwelling or abiding whatever terminology you want to use for that. John 8 You you remember it's it's a little progressive through the book of John. John chapter 6 Jesus got this huge crowd So it wasn't a January 1st crowd. It was a bigger crowd than that. And he's got this huge crowd. And he starts talking about, you can't go to heaven. You can't even come to me unless the Father draws you. And people say, well, if that's the message, we're leaving. And a huge number of people leave. And the disciples say, you know, he says, are you leaving too? And he said, they said, where else should we go? You're the only one with the words of eternal life. So they're sticking around. And you've got a different crowd in John chapter 8, a smaller crowd, a crowd that clearly has already said, Jesus, we believe in you. That's our crowd this morning. A crowd that says, we, we believe in Jesus. Probably don't have anybody in the room that wouldn't say that. And then he says to that crowd, here it is. John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. So these are the believers he's talking to. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Interesting, isn't it? Talking to believers, a crowd like we've got this morning, and he says, I know you believe, got that check. But do you truly believe? Are you genuinely converted? Are you really my people? Are you really the ones going to heaven? There's a difference between believing and truly believing. And the only distinction he gives in this text right here is you abide in my word. The people who truly believe are the ones who abide in My word. If you abide in my word, true disciples, not spurious, not thinking about it, but true disciples of mine are those who abide in my word. That's an expectation Christ has of us, that his true disciples are in his word. We're dwelling in his word. There are other passages we can look at to talk about. How to do that more and more and more. When I got saved, I I got saved in 1974. Hearing the gospel at a camp. And God sent me an angel the next day. Don't know him, didn't know where he came from. Out of the blue, walking across the parking lot, comes this man looking right at me. He says, I see something in your countenance that's different. I said, well, I I believe I got saved last night. He said, I want to give you some advice young man, and I said, okay. He says, I want you to go get a Bible, and I want you to start reading the Bible for the rest of your life. Don't forsake this book. I didn't own a Bible. So I go back home from camp, go to the local mall, and I buy a Bible. First one I saw. We actually had Bibles in the mall back in that day. I bought one, started reading it, I struggled for the next six years ever getting through it. For six years, I didn't get through the Bible. And then I finally got through the Bible. And then after that, I read the Bible every year up until this year. So 42 more years, I've been reading the Bible all the way through every year. And I... You may be like me. You may have believed in Christ. And nobody trained you. Nobody showed you how to read the Bible and how to get through the Bible. And I want to help you with that. What I've learned over the years is four characteristics of people who succeed at Bible reading. Like I said, I failed six years in a row before trying to, trying to, trying to, trying harder, never succeeding. Then I learned four principles that everybody I meet, everybody I read about that succeeds at reading the Bible through for the rest of their lives, they have these characteristics, and I want to give them to you. Uh, Number one, they have an undeniable reason for reading through the Bible. You need to know why you are getting up out of bed to read your Bible before work? Why would anyone do that? Why would you turn off TikTok to read the Bible? Why would you turn off Instagram? Why would you turn off Facebook? Why would you turn off the television? Why would you not go to this place, that place, this conversation, that conversation to stop and get into the Bible? You must have an undeniable reason that nobody can thwart your plan. You must know, I have got to do this. Or my life will not be complete. And I want to give you a number of undeniable reasons God's given me for getting into the Bible. You say, hey David, can you meet me here, do this? Nope, can't. Why? I have an appointment. And my appointment may be just to get into the Bible. To abide in God's word and to dwell there in it. First thing... First reason I want to give you is completeness in Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2. 1 Peter 2 verse 2. Completeness in Christ. And I mean completeness really in every way. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 using the analogy of a little baby that doesn't survive Unless it gets milk. That's the analogy we have here. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. When you get saved, you're not complete, you got a lot of growing up to do. And God is saying if you want to grow up, you're not going to just naturally grow up. You've got to, like a baby, long for the nourishment that grows you up. And the spiritual nourishment that grows us up is the Word of God. It's nothing mousy about seeking milk as opposed to steak. That's not the analogy here. The analogy is to seek nourishment. The baby has no other nourishment but milk. No other option but milk. Must have it or it won't grow. You know, how many parents, maybe in this room, have had an experience where you, you have a newborn? Maybe you're still in the hospital or maybe you've just gone home and somebody says, how's the baby? And you say, not taking milk. And immediately we all go, oh my. Because if that baby doesn't take milk, it dies. It doesn't grow up. That's an absolute essential. It's undeniable. The baby must have it. The same is true with the word of God for a believer. We must have it to be complete. To grow up in Christ, I want to give you a leader in the Bible and four ways this leader grows through the Word of God. Look at Deuteronomy 17 verse 18. Deuteronomy 17 verse 18. I'm not going to take the time. I just always, I don't know why but I'm going to try to do better this year. I always run out of time. So um, if I had the time you go back and read today, I'd love for you to read Deuteronomy 17 verse 14, but I'm going to skip about four verses. What this passage is, is God is saying to the Jews who are going towards the promised land, He says, you're going to get into the promised land and at some point, you're going to want a king. You're going to want a leader besides Moses. When you get that king, let me tell you what that king, the characteristics this king needs to have to be a good king for you. So that's what He's doing. I'm going to just cut to the chase. These things are starting in verse 18. When He, this is your new king, when He sits on the throne... Of his kingdom, he shall write for himself, how about that, a book, a copy of this law. So he's got the law of Moses, they don't have multiple copies, can't go to the bookstore, can't go to Amazon, download it, can't do any of that. First task, he's got to get pen and scroll and write his own copy. And he's got to have Levitical priests looking over his shoulders to make sure he gets it right. He's got to have an accurate copy of the word of God. So he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. Second, verse 19, and he shall be with him and he shall read it. How many days? It all the days of his life. And then four things. That he may learn to fear the Lord. Number one. What's the first thing we must learn to do? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Fear Him. Love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If this king will get a copy of the Bible, if he gets an accurate copy, and if he reads it all the days of his life, the number one thing he will get out of it, he will begin to worship. He will begin to fall down and adore and fear God. What would it be like to have a leader who feared God? Who was always before God? Number two, he'll fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his laws, these statutes, and doing him, doing them, I'm going to get back to that, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brother's humility. Second thing this this leader gets is not only a worshipful fear of God, an appropriate relationship with God, but he gets an appropriate relationship with his brothers and sisters. He gets humility. He doesn't exalt himself above his brothers and sisters. What would it be like to have a humble leader who truly sees I'm your servant just as you serve me? We serve one another together for Christ. Third thing he gets is obedience. You've already seen that mentioned once. Um, His heart, verse 20, is not lifted up above his brothers that he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left. It's mentioned again. He's going to keep all the laws, all the commands in the book. He's not going to turn to the right or to the left. He's going to obey a standard, and that standard is the Word of God. All of these things are coming as a result of having your own copy of the word and reading it every day. And then the fourth thing he gets, the last part of that, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. That's blessing. So that he will be blessed with a long career of blessing. And the blessing flows not only to him, but to his children and to his nation. The most important thing you can do for yourself, for your kids, for your neighborhood, your church, your nation, is to have a copy of the Word of God and read it all the days of your life so that you fear God. You bow down and worship Him. You start the day seeking Him and worshiping Him. You start the year worshiping God. You're humble. You don't exalt yourself. It's not because you're better than anybody else. You want now to serve God by serving others. And you want to spend your time directed by the laws of God. You obey. As a result, you're blessed. And the blessing flows through you to your kids. And to your neighbors, to your church, to the whole nation. What a wonderful blessing. You want that? When I saw that, I thought, wow. God, i got to get into your word. God, i got to get into your word. You must have an undeniable reason or you will get distracted from reading God's word. I bet most of you are not unlike me. You've messed up year after year after year after year after year year as well. And you want desperately to succeed. Come up with an undeniable reason. One is that you grow up. You become complete in Christ. You learn to fear Him. You learn to obey Him. You learn to be humble. You learn to be blessed. Second reason for strength, for wisdom, guidance, and blessing. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. A very popular passage of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3. 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable. And then gives four ways it's profitable. And I encourage you to memorize these four. Because you're going to come across passages of Scripture. And you're going to say, like I do. I still say it today. God, why in the world did you write this? Why is this here? Well, he's already said every Scripture is God breathed. It's breathed out. God Spoke it out to us. We didn't invent it. It's God's. So you ask the question, God, why is it here? And God reminds me four things, David. It's for teaching you, reproving you, for correcting you, and for training you in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Anytime you come across a passage of scripture, it's to teach. Is to reprove, is to correct, is to train. We need direction and instruction. We're not thoroughly complete yet. We're, we're growing up. And so God teaches us, and he says, This is my structure. He said, Well, that I'm not doing that. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna reprove you. Yes, you're correct. You're not doing that. Reproof. Let's. Tell you what the correct thing is. And let's not only tell you what the correct thing is, let's give you training so you can do it. So you can live a new life in Christ. And if you live this new life in Christ, you will be thoroughly furnished for every good work. Wow. This hands down is better than any other education you could get if you were on a desert island and you just kept reading the Bible over you would come off of that island thoroughly equipped for any work God has called you to do. God equips us when we threw this out of our educational fabric believers said that can't happen and so we bring back in homeschooling movement and the private school movement because you can't throw out the tool that thoroughly equips you for every good work it's undeniable we need to get into the bible to have this strength that only god provides wisdom guidance and blessing i'll move on three for faithfulness to god romans 10 17 you know that verse faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of god do you want your kids to have faith? You want them to believe in Jesus? So I just wish my kids would in Jesus. Well, are you putting in front of them the Bible every day? Why? Because that's the only way they, they believe in Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. They have to hear it. It shouldn't just be a preacher's word. We stand up here and say, hear now the Word of God. Every dad should be saying that. Every mom should be saying that. Kids, let's sit down. Hear now the word of God. I want you to hear it because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You can't be faithful until you first hear it. Hear the word of God. Listen to the word of God. Be directed by the word of God. And then you get back to John 8, which is where I started, 31 and 32. You abide in the word of God. You dwell in it. And it's only then that the truth sets you free. You're free to obey it. And be faithful in it. Um, statistics are out. Any, any book you want to go to that, that deals with moral statistics. Those people who are regularly engaged in the scriptures. 60% plus. Depending on what survey you look at. At least... of these people, because some are lying about whether they really read and stay in the Word of God, but they are 60% less likely to abuse alcohol, to abuse pornography, to have sex outside of marriage, to not be steadfast, to not be faithful. The Word of God strengthens us to a faithfulness, to a direct line of living like Jesus wants us to live. I'll move on. For greater affection with God. You want to be all in for Jesus, right? All in. As I think about that, just Lord, I, I want to love you more. You've, he's commanded us. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll look at this more next week. Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do, do you get romantic with God? Do you love him? Do you embrace him? Do you do you, are you affectionate with God? Does he know that you are passionate for him? Is that clear? Are you growing in that? It won't happen without the word of God. You remember the passage Again, just to save time, but you can look it up. Matthew chapter 7, 21, 22, 23. Jesus is talking to a group of people who says, "Uh, did we not pray in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. I don't know you. Depart from me. Catch the description how he defines them or describes them. Depart from me, you who do lawlessness. In other words, you don't know the laws of God. You don't live the laws of God. If you don't know the laws of God, you don't live the laws of God, Jesus describes you as someone that He doesn't know. Now, out of all the billions of people on this earth... When God looks down from heaven, he says, okay, I got about 7 billion people here I could choose. Out of that number, I don't know about you. I want God to say, 'Ah, David, David, I know you. And you're mine. I know you. You know me. You're with me day and you know my law and you follow it don't you want that kind of relationship that affection with God and for God that he knows you you know him again it comes through getting into his law his word engaging him On a daily basis. You know the people you're engaged with. You really know them. When you're spending time with them. Day after day after day. And you're listening to their principles. Their ways. Their desires. Their heart. And I want that. And I want that for you. I want to be happy in Jesus. I want to be nourished by him. Number five. For unbelievable encouragement from God. I could say so much about this. When you read through the Bible over and over, you, you start to just see God wants to encourage in so many ways. Just first of all, think about this book. There's no other book like it. This book is the only document given to mankind by mankind's our Creator. Our Creator. Our designer, not only our creator, but creator of heaven and earth, has written a document through the Holy Spirit, through men, given to us. How special is that? To be able to share that with your own kids. You know, your creator has written a letter to you. Really? Wow. It's... Literally, it's 66 letters. And they're all love letters. It's about what he wants for you. And it's about his plan. And it's about how he's predestined you before he designed you, before the foundation of the world, that you might be conformed to the image of Christ. How he's just going to make you more and more and more like him. And how wonderful and how beautiful that is. That's encouraging. That I have a book handed to me by my creator. And my creator wants me to have his directions and his design so that I can live and grow. It's the most unique book you'll ever read. You'll never read a more unique book because it's the only book. only book that exists on the planet... Or any planet for that matter. It's the only book that is inerrant, without error. It's the only book that is infallible. God breathes. It's the only book that's totally reliable in every single thing it affirms. There's no other book like it. It's the only book that's profitable. We already read that verse, right? Second Timothy three, sixteen. It's profitable for teaching. For correction, for proof, correction, training, equipping so that we're thoroughly equipped, furnished for every good work. Only book that's guaranteed you're going to get something out of it when you read it the way it should be read. It's, it's, it's the only book that's so hopeful. It's never dreary in the sense that it always takes us out of darkness into light, out of depression into freedom in Christ. It's the most solid book. Every other word that you read is like words on the sand. And they shift. But this is the solid rock of Christ. It's immovable. It's never changing. It's perfect in all of its ways. It's the most powerful book you'll ever read. It transforms life. It gives faith and repentance to those who are dead. In sin. It's also the most enduring book. Flowers fade, grass withers, but the Word of God stands forever. Never failing. It's the same standard in heaven as on earth. It's a book we will carry with us. Um, Exciting. Have an undeniable reason. I've just given you five. Maybe nine, depending on how you count them. They just, for me, they go on and on and on. Thinking about a reason why I need to read this book. You pick one for this year. Pick all of them if you want. But what's it going to take? I know you got to turn off something. If you're going to read through the Bible, you only have so many hours and so many minutes. You've got to have a reason that's bigger than what you're doing so that you turn off what you're doing and abide in the Word of God. Second uh, characteristic of those who are reading their Bibles and succeeding at reading their Bibles regularly is they have a repeatable routine. It's reasonable and it's routine to read the Bible through, to abide in the Word. We need a repeatable routine, not just a a good routine, but a repeatable. Um, You know, like I said, I've read through 42 times. I've never found anywhere in the Bible where God says, you know, David, if you don't have time to read, that's okay. I don't find that. If you don't have time, that'll be okay. No, it's, matter of fact, interesting, one, day, one, one evening I was reading through the book of Matthew, I read through the whole book in one sitting, and I found six six times, I believe it, six or seven times, where Jesus, he was always talking to the Pharisees, and he says, haven't you been reading your Bibles? They said, well, Jesus, tell us about marriage. He said, well, haven't you been reading your Bible? Jesus, tell us about the Sabbath. Haven't you been reading the Bible? You start seeing these repeated phrases. He doesn't say oh, it's, it's okay, I know you haven't read that part yet, let me tell you. Instead, he says, you should have read that part by now. You should be reading your Bibles, and you should be reading them regularly. You should have a routine of reading your Bible. First of all, I want you to know it's possible, okay? It's, just, it's really, it's just possible. So possible now, more so now than ever in the history of mankind because of our technology. Um, it takes approximately 80 hours to read the Bible that's it 80 hours uh, Tom mentioned earlier the Old Testaments three-fourths of the Bible the New Testaments another fourth it takes 60 hours to read the Old Testament 20 hours to read the New Testament there's 1189 chapters it's the way I first learned I counted all the chapters and tried to do the math to figure out how many chapters a day I had to read to get all the way through the Bible. If you want to know the answer, it's 3.26. I had a hard time with that .26, trying to you know, figure out what that was each day. But that's what it takes to get through the Bible. The McShane Bible reading plan that Tom referred to you, has you reading through the Bible four chapters a day, basically. And that's how you get through in a year. But there's so many ways to do this. And I want to encourage it. Tom mentioned the McShane Bible reading plan is robust. And the reason he said it's robust is because you're not only reading all the way through the Bible in one year, but you're reading through the Psalms twice and you're reading through New Testament twice. So you're reading more than all the way through if you take the McShane Bible reading plan. But you can go, there's an app in your connection. You can Take a camera shot of that, hit it, it'll immediately take you to the right website, which is version. It takes you to the New Covenant Church Bible reading plan. I looked this morning, 53 of you have already signed up. That's huge. 53 of you have signed up to go through the Bible reading plan, McShane plan next year. And I'm excited about that. The, the, The cool thing about that plan is that 53 of you on that app, you can say, hey, I didn't understand this. Anybody understand this? And you got fifty-three people who might say, uh, "Yeah, I think it means this." You've got that kind of fellowship on that app. You've also got the application because it shows you if you signed up now, you're being recorded. You it shows whether you read it or didn't write it. Read it. So you might have some people in the church say, "Hey, I saw you haven't read this thing in about four days. What's going on? You all right? How can I help? How can I minister?" How can I serve you? Is there a way I can encourage you? Can I, can I help you catch up? Something like that. So there's accountability through that plan. Um, but let me, let me say, reading through the Bible, it, it's possible. In, when I say 80 hours, I'm talking about standing behind the pulpit and reading 10 commandments. Have no other gods, make no idols, speak well of God and for God. That's the speed that they've t- determined the 80 hours. It's an out loud speed, whatever speed that is. You know, I'm a southerner, so I, I speak slow, right? Some people say I'm the fastest speaking southerner they've ever met. But, I don't know. It's, it's it's an out loud speed. It's called pulpit rate. It's called lectern rate. 60 hours Old Testament. 20 for the New. Now, what does that mean? That means You could put on your app, just hit what you want to read today as you get into your car. you got a 15-minute commute to work. Going to work or coming back from work, surely it's about 15 minutes, if not more, if you're going and coming. 15 minutes a day just listening to the Bible, you'll get all the way through the Bible in one year. It's possible, you see to read through the Bible, you have easy tools now. You can just listen to it and get all the way through. You can take the McShane plan, and we have both of these on the bookstore. Both of these are devotional. This is a devotional book. It has a one-page devotional. has the McShane Bible reading at the top, the passages you read, one-page devotional. So if you want to do that. And this is another kind of... It's a lot more with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, that kind of thing. Both of these are on our bookstore. We don't make any money off of them. They're not building the BTG, okay? Uh, You're welcome to see those and see if you want to use that. The McShane plan has a... You'll see at the top of the plan, typically, uh, a family, the word family, two columns for family and two columns for private. It used to be called secret. Carson changed the word to private. What McShane thought was appropriate was in family discussions, family devotions, reading all the way through the Bible was pretty extreme if you've got little kids trying to keep their attention while you read four chapters of Scripture. So he had you reading just two chapters for with the kids, family time, and then two times in private or in secret, he called it. Where you had that time with God. So that's, that's what's going on with that language. But there are other good plans. We've had people in this church. Had a guy come to church one, one week. Got saved. I went to his house and visited with him. Um, and I said, I'm going to come back and check on you in about three months or something. And see how you're doing. Because I know you're a new believer. And I went back to check on him. He, he lived right off Whitehall. Went in his house. Said, how you been doing? He says, well, I finished the Bible. I said, what? It's only been three months. He had already read through the Bible as a new believer completely. He was starting over in three months. Three months plan is out there. It's robust. The one-month plan is out there. It's robust. Uh, there's the one-year plans. They're out there. There's such a multitude. Uh, they're all on UVersion app. Uh, and you can Google them if you don't like the ones there. But there's twenty something there. Um, there's lots of apps. That the key is 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 finding one that uh, is going to fit you. You need a routine, something that you can go through, uh, so that it'll work. One of my heroes is Samuel Ansley. Samuel Ansley is the grandfather of John and Charles Wesley. See, John and Charles Wesley greatly influenced our Christendom, um, wrote many great hymns, great evangelists, revivalistic preachers, but they had a grandfather that discipled them. And Samuel Ansley was that man. Samuel Ansley got saved at age six, and Samuel started reading the Bible. At age 6, because he could read. Most of you kids here say, I I started reading by 5 or 6. Age 6, Samuel Ansley started reading 20 chapters of Scripture per day. 20. Now, he didn't have Internet. He didn't have Instagram. He didn't have TikTok. He didn't have Facebook. He didn't have television. He didn't have radio. But he had a Bible. And he started reading the Bible 20 chapters a day at age six, and he continued the practice until he died. If you read 20 chapters a day, you get through the Bible six times a year. He did that for the next 64 years. He died at age 70. I'm just saying, it's possible. You could be a kid in this room and say, Well, I'm only six. He's not talking to me. No, I am. At age six, you can read through the Bible once. Samuel did it six times that year. Because you don't need those other things. Go ahead and turn them off. You definitely don't need them at age six. But you need this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You need to be complete in Christ. You need to grow up in Christ. You need to be thoroughly furnished for every good work in Christ. You need to fear God. You need to worship God. You need to learn to obey God. There's undeniable reason for you to be in the word of God. So I just encourage you to get a routine that works. Um, Get one that you can repeat over and over. Uh, Number three. Let me just move on. They're realistic about their own abilities. Let me speak to that a a little bit. We are not all the same. I love the story of Samuel Ansley because it's so inspiring. And it always gives me more to shoot for. But he and I aren't the same people. You may not be like me and I may not be like you and none of us are like Samuel Ansley. You need to pick a plan of reading the Bible that fits your ability. Some of us read slow. Some of us read fast. Some of us comprehend a lot. Some of us can't remember what we just read. Pick a plan that is suitable to your abilities. God knows who you are. God knows your abilities. I had a guy that came to me once and said, David, I really want to read the Bible, but I fail year after year after year. I said, quit trying to do it in a year i said let's come up with something that fits your ability let's do it in two years so i'm not sure i can do that well then let's do it in three years if you read one chapter a day you will finish the bible in three years and three months so what's wrong with that let's do it let's do it let's come up with a three-year plan because you're still obeying the scripture you're abiding in the word of god every day You're dwelling in God's Word. You're hearing God. God's growing you. He's speaking to you. And you're speaking to Him. There's so many options. Let's just learn to live in the Word of God. Let me give you a few quick passages. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus, when uh, He was tempted, He responds every time with a passage of Scripture. He's studying the Word of God. He's quoting the Word of God. In Matthew 4 verse 4, he answers Satan the first time. He says, Satan, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, you're trying to tell me how to do life? He says, God tells me how to do life. We live according to The word of God. We don't live according to what we just heard on the news. Or what our teacher just told us. We go back to the Bible. And we evaluate. And we live consistent with the word of God. God wants us to be in a living plan. Not in a legalistic plan. A plan that enables us to live. And breathe the Word of God, and that's what I want to encourage you to get into. Look at Psalm three. I think this is just a great example of how to live in the Word of God. Psalm chapter one. Did I say three a minute ago? Psalm one, verses one through three. Psalm one, verses one through three says, "Blessed is man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, not in, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers." You can just insert there in your mind. All of those things I've already mentioned. Blessed is the man who's not being directed by the TV and Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and all that. Doesn't mean you can't watch it. But that's not where your direction is coming from. That's not where your counsel is coming from. Doesn't You don't even stand there as much. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates and catch how often? Day and night. When I say a living plan, you need not only to just read through the Bible and check the boxes. I read chapter 1, read chapter 2, read chapter 3. You, you need a time where you, you, you say, God, what did I just read? What are you saying to me? What's my teaching? What's my reproof? What's my correction? How will I be trained? You need what Psalm 1 is talking about, a time of meditation. My definition for meditation is this to think in view of doing. That's meditating. I want to think about what I just read in view of doing something with it. I want it, I want to turn it into. A teaching from God, a reproof from God, a correction from God, a training by God, so that I'm thoroughly equipped and become all God wants me to be. Uh, We need a realistic plan to get into the Bible. Come up with one. I asked my parents. I got got saved. I was a teenager and uh, started reading my Bible unsuccessfully, but I was reading it. And as I read it, I came across passages of Scripture that confused me and seemed contrary to what was going on in my church. And so every time I came across one of those, I went to the pastor of the church and said, you know, I just read in Ephesians 1, and it talks about predestination. And I heard something about you didn't like that word. And, you know, help me out with that. And he said, well, we don't believe that. And I said, okay. And I went back and I started reading some more. And I got to Timothy and read about elders and deacons. And I said, I've been in this church all of my life, never heard the word elder or deacon ever brought up. We don't apparently have any. He said, Well, yeah, you're right. We don't. It's not the way you think. And he went through that. And so after a while of doing those discussions, I finally said, Well, what do we believe? If, if this is not it, what is it that we believe? And started investigating. And as as I investigated what that church believed and what the Bible said, I, I, I had issues. And now i got a bigger issue because my parents have been there for generation after generation after generation. And who am I to come along and say, well, that's wrong. So how am I going to be at peace with my parents? How am I going to love them and honor them? And how are they going to be at peace with me? So I came up with a plan. And I went to mom and dad one day and I said, mom and dad, Uh, you know, I'm struggling with some things I've been reading in the Bible. And they said, yeah. I said, how about we come up with a plan? I said, "Um, I'm home during the summer. The rest of the time, I'm just everywhere. I said, I'm home during the summer. There's 10 weeks where you know I'm home and I know I'm home. I said, how about we take 10 weeks and right after lunch on Sunday, we spend an hour. And I just read the passages that are bothering me and share them with you. And then we'll pray together. And at the end of 10 weeks, if I leave the church and go somewhere else, because I was old enough to do so by then, I was 18 plus, and you, you won't be ashamed of me. You won't be embarrassed by me. You'll know from the scriptures why I'm doing what I'm doing. And you will understand that I love you. and want to be at peace with you, but I want to follow God. And so we spent 10 weeks, 10 hours. I mean, how many parents would say, turn that down? If you're a Christian parent and your kid comes to you and say, can we spend 10 hours of you instructing me in the scriptures and praying with me? They didn't turn me down. I said, sure, let's do that. So I spent those 10 hours with them. And it was just a beautiful time where even to this day, my dad just, he just, Beams, he just always wants to introduce me as his preacher son. Yeah, this is the one who follows the Bible, and it all started back then. And the reason I share that with you is just because it's a realistic plan, it works. You could come up with a realistic plan that works for Bible reading, whether it's 10 hours or 100 hours. Whether it's two days a week or five days a week or seven days a week. Get a plan you know you will succeed at. And then check that off. Success. And then move next year to what God... Because God's going to increase your abilities. You will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you get into God's Word, you won't stay the same. You'll be changed. You'll be transformed. Your discipline will grow. Your abilities will grow. Your knowledge will grow. Your strength will grow. Your wisdom will grow. Your power will grow. Your faith will grow. So it will change from year to year to year. So wherever you are right now, realize you don't have to have my plan. I don't have to have your plan. And for those of you who are on the McShane plan, the 53 of you, if you you keep succeeding, great. Don't look down on the ones who aren't on that plan. Some of us may be on a better plan than yours. It's a secret. Uh, Some of us may be on, yeah, less chapters, but more meditation, more doing, more growing. You don't know. It's not about our invented plans. It's about dwelling in the Word of God, engaging the Word of God so that it shapes our choices and transforms our relationship with God, with ourselves, and with others. That's what we're going for. All right, fourth ingredient. They pursue intimate fellowship with God and Bible devotion. I can't scream this loud enough. When you get into the Word of God, your goal, your absolute number one goal is not to read the Word of God. Your absolute number one goal when you get into the Word of God is to know the God of the Word. Don't read the Word God. Of God. Without getting to know the God. Of the word. It is about. Your relationship. With God. This is how you hear him. This is how you know him. You must pursue. Intimate fellowship. With God. That's your goal. Build an enjoyable. Relationship with God. It's not about getting. Some nugget. To help you teach a lesson or help you say the right thing to a friend or to a spouse. It is about getting to know God. There's two questions that sum up the scriptures. The catechisms are usually broken into two questions. Uh, The first half of the catechism is typically, if you have ever been taught one, it's what we believe about God. The second half is what duty He requires of us. So you can look at Scripture simply. What does this passage teach me to believe or what does it teach me to do? As parents, our tendency is to focus on the doing. Kid, when are you going to grow up and start doing right? And we focus on doing, 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 doing. And I'm saying, stop it. Go back to question one. What are you to believe about God? Have have you embraced Him? Have, Have you come to know Him? The God of the command before you know the command and before you do it. We need an intimate, affectionate relationship with God. Don't get obsessed with the doing. Get obsessed with knowing God. I often open my Bibles And start my reading and saying, God, you're so awesome. And I'm a little selfish, but I want to be blown away again today. I want to be overwhelmed with your holiness. I want to be overwhelmed with your goodness. I know you're unchangeable. I want to know more of that. I know you're omniscient. I want to know more of that. I know you're omnipotent. I want to get that more so that I'm not fearful in any fight because you are with me. I want to grow in your wisdom, your power, your goodness, your holiness, your truth, your forgiveness, your mercy, your kindness. Spend time with God. God, now let me open the Bible. And let me hear you. Because he's the one speaking here. Hear the word of God. Develop intimacy with God. Don't have a day where you don't know God. Where, you know, if you want to make a marriage work, you, you've got to have therapists will say, you know, you've got to have 10, at least 10 seconds hugging. You need to have at least a kiss a day or something. Some sort of affection. If you are affectionist, what what affectionless? less? If you go day after day after day after day, and you, there's never a hug, and there's never a kiss, and there's never a holding of hands, and soon you're apart. There's no intimacy. And the relationship crumbles. And the same is true. You will not succeed at Bible... Yeah, you can read it like any book. You can go sit on the beach and read it. You can read it this week if you wanted to. you got 80 hours. Just take a week off and read. But will you know Jesus? Will you know His Word? In such a way that you've heard Him talk to you and you've talked back to Him. That's the intimate fellowship... When you have that, and that relationship grows, then you hunger and thirst for more and more and more, and you can't put it down. Only 19% of Americans are engaged with God. Let's change this. Let's change it. Our church can change it. Our church is already changing it. This church is the most Bible literate church I know of. When I started preaching to you folks years ago, and ask you to read through the Bible with me I asked the question how many of you read the Bible last year and a few hands went up and then I said did you understand my question I didn't say did you read in the Bible last year my question was you read the Bible you read the entire book my wife kids me did you read the concordance I know you got to the end did you read the concordance You read the entire book. How many of you did it? And then some hands went down. And we had a congregation with about two. People said, yeah, two people read the Bible last year. Now we've got a hundred of you, perhaps, going through the Bible every year. You're struggling. We've got people in this room who can tell you they struggle too, and they can tell you how they're succeeding. I'm trying to tell you how you can succeed. It's got to be reasonable. It's got to be repeatable. It's got to be realistic and it's got to be about a relationship. And if you ha- have those ingredients, I'm confident you will succeed and we can change the course of this world by being a church that again shapes every choice by God's word and is transformed in every relationship by God himself. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth that does set men and women and boys and girls free. We are in such bondage and yet we have the key to unlock the prison door. It's before us. Father, we ask that you would set us free. That you would grant us new ability starting the first day of this year to succeed at reading your word and in reading your word in knowing you the only source of life and health and benefit and blessing and eternity. Father, we love you. We adore you. Forgive us. For neglecting you? Forgive us for knowing you were there, but not engaging you? May we turn from these sins and turn strongly to you, embracing you through your word, day after day after day. We want to be known by you, and we want to know you. Hear our cry, O God, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple analogy this morning as we come to the Lord's table.